Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Talking about the Supreme Court ruling that came down today on affirmative action, it struck down affirmative action in college admissions, saying race cannot be a factor in whether or not a kid gets into your school. And so higher education uh, institutions are going to have to find new ways to achieve diverse student bodies, right? If that is what your goal is, is to find a diverse student body, then you need to figure out a different way to do it rather than using race because the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause doesn't let you discriminate based on race. There were several different opinions that were written. You know, you you have the majority opinion. And then if you, you know, you can sign on to that, but then you're like, I got some other stuff I want to say. You could do a concurrent opinion. And that's what Clarence Thomas did. So he wrote a concurring opinion tacked on to the majority opinion. It was a 6-3 majority. All the conservatives voted uh, uh, together. The three liberals, they dissented. And then you, you can tack on to that as well, which Ketanji Brown Jackson did. And so I have, I have some, of, some of what she wrote as well. First, to Clarence Thomas. He says, the great failure of this country was slavery and its progeny. And the tragic failure of this court was its misinterpretation of the Reconstruction Amendments as Justice Harlan predicted in Plessy. Plessy being Plessy v. Ferguson, right? The landmark case. I believe that was the one that's separate but equal, right? It says, we should not repeat this mistake merely because we think as our predecessors thought, that the present arrangements are superior to the Constitution. The court's opinion rightly makes clear that Grutter, that's the original ruling, is, for all intents and purposes, overruled. And it sees the university's admissions policies for what they are, rudderless, race-based preferences designed to ensure a particular racial mix in their entering classes. Those policies fly in the face of our colorblind constitution and our nation's equality ideal. In short, they are plainly and boldly unconstitutional. In Brown, I believe that would be Brown 2, I guess that's the Brown v. Board of Ed. Uh, C. Brown noting that the Brown case one year earlier had declared the fundamental principle that racial discrimination in public education is unconstitutional. He says, while I am painfully aware of the social and economic ravages which have befallen my race and all who suffer discrimination, I hold out enduring hope that this country will live up to its principles so clearly enunciated in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, that all men are created equal, are equal citizens, and must be treated equally before the law. And I guess that's the question here is, do you believe that? Should that be the principle, right? 
this goes this goes right to the the very first interview of the the beginning of the show. I did the interview with the founder and the CEO of this uh, housing development called uh, 1776 Gastonia, and it's a place for you know 55 and older patriots who love America, who want to live in a neighborhood. You fly American flags, and you're pro-America. That's not a partisan or political thing. And the people, well, I will speak for myself, that why I love America is because of these ideals, that we are all created equal, that we are endowed by our creator with inalienable rights. They do not come from the government. These ideas make us unique and makes this project worth preserving. We are to be treated equally before the law, unless your name is Biden. That's just, it's just a joke. But seriously, like that's the, that's the thing that's supposed to unite us. And I almost get the sense that, that there are people who don't really believe that, I guess. And you could say we, we have fallen short, we are falling short, and maybe we always will fall short. But that's not a reason to abandon the ideal, Right. If the ideal is good, and I know I'm asking for sort of a capital T truth determination on what is good. I know it's like this is this is going to be difficult for the relativists to comprehend, but I think those ideals are good. I think that is the best of all the bad ways to order a society. And I don't agree with... Um, with Ibram X. Kendi, that the remedy for past discrimination is present discrimination because you're still discriminating, and that's either not allowed or it is allowed. You don't want to live in a society that does it. I don't want to live in a society that, that does that. Uh, let me go over here to Dean. Welcome to the program. What's up, Dean? How are you doing? Hey, Pete. How you been? I'm good. I'm doing all right. How are you? Doing fine. So preach on. So... I think the argument or the, the argument of this case that just was ruled on has not really been presented clearly so people can wrap their head around this. Because if I've been following my college lawsuits correctly now, this case was actually brought forward on behalf of Oriental families that were being cut out of Harvard and other schools because Harvard was receiving complaints that too many Orientals were getting in because of their performance record only. So they self-regulated themselves mm -hmm. and limited the number of Oriental students that they would allow into the school um, so other people could be represented right. or other, other numbers. That, and that's that is come forward. This is like a counter... Uh, affirmative action suit. This isn't really affirmative action. It's like an anti-affirmative action suit. So, all right. So first thing, uh, just a heads up for you. Uh, Oriental is like rugs and vases and like uh, that sort of stuff. Asian is the people. So, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the, so you are correct though. Uh, like the, uh, on, on your assessment of the, uh, of the, the case, it revolves around, um, there's an, or I have them here. Uh, I forget the name of the organization. Um, do, 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 uh, Students, students for fair admissions, and they filed these lawsuits specifically to get at these policies because Asian Americans are being discriminated against 
because and and some of the like I read through some of the um, some of the complainants uh, the, or the the plaintiff's stories. So Harvard, they actually would go and you would sit down with uh, some Harvard. You, like you had to have like a person that would be like, "Hey, I can vouch for this one," and then come interview you and all this. And this plaintiff was uh, was talking about how they were rejected because uh, they essentially didn't show enough emotion, and that's and 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 that's apparently like there's some there's some racisty kind of background going on there that Asian Americans don't display enough emotion or they're too deadpan faced whatever like they they don't. They're not expressive. Right. Right. No, yeah. right. And so they so they would say, like, well, I'm not sure if it's the right fit. And they would write these notes like that. And like they're just finding ways to kick out of the pool as many Asian Americans as possible because there are so many in there because culturally they have they put a very high price uh on you know excellence and right uh, academics and, and getting into good schools and providing for the family and being a success. Like they're they're very driven and um, and that that they were penalized for that. Yes. No. Nope. Tiger mom. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. The, absolutely. Yeah. So that's what prompted the uh, the lawsuits. Now, now, to be clear, like white admission, uh, uh, white kids that are going through the admission process, they are also uh, getting discriminated against too, but to a much lesser degree than Asians. Much yep. lesser. I'm with it. Yeah. Dean, good to hear from you, buddy. Have a great uh, holiday. You too. All right, man. Um, and I don't know, because like when Tony called and he says, well, he was for reparations. And so I guess he sees this as part of reparations, right? But but what did what did Asians do? Right? You're discriminating against the wrong group of people. <laughs> so I'm, I'm unclear as to how wiping away or trying to pay the price back on slavery, we have to discriminate against Asians that are trying to get into college. I... Not really clear on that connection. All right, let's go to some of the... Uh, I do have a bunch of messages. I will get to them. I want to get to the uh, a couple of these uh, Supreme Court quotes, though. This is Ketanji Brown-Jackson, first African-American female on the court. And she says, The majority and concurring opinions rehearse this court's idealistic vision of racial equality from Brown forward with appropriate lament for past indiscretions. But the race-linked gaps that the law, aided by this court, previously founded and fostered, which indisputably define our present reality, are strangely absent and do not seem to matter. With let-them-eat-cake obliviousness, today, the majority pulls the ripcord and denounces colorblindness for all by legal fiat. But deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. And having so detached itself from this country's actual past and present experiences, the court has now been lured into interfering with the crucial work that UNC and other institutions of higher learning are doing to solve America's real-world problems. No one benefits, I'm sure, look, I am sure that, like, members of the Klan thought that they were solving America's real-world problems, too. Right? I mean, this the, this is not a legal opinion I am writing here, or I'm reading to you here. This is not a legal opinion, right? This is just lecturing. No one benefits from ignorance. This is the ruling. This is in the opinion. No one benefits from ignorance. 
I disagree, but whatever. Um, I do. I think sometimes ignorance is better on some things. But uh, although formal race-linked legal barriers are gone, race still matters to the lived experiences of all Americans in innumerable ways. And today's ruling makes things worse, not better. The best that can be said of the majority's perspective is that it proceeds ostrich-like from the hope that preventing consideration of race will end racism. And that's actually not what they said, but okay. Um, But if that is the motivation, the majority proceeds in vain. That's a straw man. If the colleges of this country are required to ignore a thing that matters, it will not just go away. It will take longer for racism to leave us, and ultimately ignoring race just makes it matter more. It almost feels like I'm being set up to fail here. You know, I'm supposed to look at it, but don't look too much at it. Just turn, like, kind of turn your head a little bit, a little side eye action. Ah, stop looking. That's enough. You know, it's like the sex and gender thing, right? From most of my life growing up, sex and gender were the same things. Everybody under, like, you would go and fill out a form and it would say sex or it would say gender, and everybody understood what that meant. It meant male or female. And then they're like, no, no, they're different. Sex is not gender. Gender is a spectrum. And you can, you can get, you get assigned a gender at birth and you can then identify differently, right? And then they're like, oh, but we have all these laws on the books that you can't discriminate based on sex. And then they were like, oh, well, th- in that case, it means gender too. Like, well, wait a minute. So does it mean gender or not? Well, it, it, so it means, all right, so sex and gender are different except in any particular instance where I needed to mean the same thing in order to advance whatever agenda I'm trying to advance. So that's the definition now. That's the that's how that works. I, I don't make the rules. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Joseph writes, Pete, you know colleges are just going to find creative workarounds to continue discriminating against whites and Asians though, right? They don't believe in process. They believe in results at any costs. Commies don't quit like the principled losers on the right. <laughs> losers. Um, oh, Jay says he tried the Brave computer browser, web browser, after you spoke about it a couple of months ago, and you are right, it is great. Lama, says Jay. Thank you, Jay. Um, who is this? Donnell says, good Lord, it's almost impossible to listen to Joe Biden. <laughs> uh Pete, I had a spirited discussion with an African-American colleague regarding SCOTUS debating the merit of affirmative action. He allowed that if the court were to overturn it, it would be put in, or as he put it, another SCOTUS kick in the in the jewels to black America, let's say. Um, at that, I asked if he believed 
that blacks needed special treatment or that they couldn't get into college on the basis of their own merit without race-based affirmative action programs. Remarkably, he went off on me about how, quote, his people deserve special treatment. And as expected, he inferred that he'd expect a question like that from somebody who's lived their entire life under white privilege. I offered to sell him my white privilege as it was like new and never used. He then offered an expletive response. Um, There is no discrimination to blame when college entrants are accepted on the basis of their grades and test scores. And to quote Joe Biden, period, period, period. Cheers. Listener Dan. Um, Right. Colleges can look at whatever criteria they want as long as it's not, you know, race. Right. These things that are specifically deemed to be unconstitutional now. So if they want to look at, you know, your lived truth. And to Joseph's point, yeah, they're going to find workarounds, right? They're going to try to create diverse student bodies, but they're going to have to find a different way to do it. Uh, Bill, welcome to the program. How are you, Bill? How are you? Hey, I'm good. What's going on? I've got a comment to make. You you stated about a child is assigned, I guess, on a birth certificate, it says sex, or does it say gender? I'm, I'm not sure. So I, right. So, so on the birth certificates nowadays, I believe it says only sex, but but I said, what I was saying was that when I was growing up, sex and gender meant the same thing. And then we were told it wasn't gender is assigned to you at birth. And then, uh, we end up, uh, in this position where, uh, the laws that were written that say you cannot discriminate based on sex. Now we get told, oh, but that also means gender. But then I respond, well, I thought they weren't the same thing. And then they're like, well, it has to be the same thing because it'll advance my agenda. Yeah, I guess what bothers me is when people state that a child is assigned their gender or their sex at birth, like there's a choice. Right. Well, that, yeah, so this is their, yeah, this, this is their philosophy, which states that sex and gender are different. And uh, when the baby comes out, it's biological sex then prompts the doctor to, quote, assign the gender that aligns with the sex, but the doctor doesn't know that, and so it, it could be just a complete mistake. But where does he indicate gender and sex? He doesn't, or she doesn't. The doctor does not does not indicate gender. It indicates sex. So for somebody to make a comment, the child is assigned a specific gender at birth, and mm-hmm. to me, just strange for the fact that you are born the sex you are correct okay I but it's a sign clarity because nowadays nothing really isn't clear no oh, that is ab- and that is by design you are absolutely correct and that is by design it is meant to destabilize you you, you deconstruct the language you get people on their heels they're afraid of offending afraid of getting in trouble um and so yeah you that's the whole purpose it's to muddy the waters yeah uh, Chris says, Pete, I would appreciate it if you and your crew would take Biden's speech and then in the appropriate places insert except for Asians or except for Asians and whites, you know, whichever best fits the individual statement that he made. Right. And this is like this is the question. Is. Is the remedy for past discrimination, current discrimination, because for the critical race theorists. It absolutely is. Kendi tells us so. 
Ibram X. Kendi preaches this very message. Charlotte Mecklenburg schools paid him a bunch of money to appear on a Zoom call after all these administrators and teachers and such had to read his book and then talk about it for like a whole year. And then they welcome him in, welcome him in on a Zoom call and he gets to expound on this BS. Like you are advocating discrimination based on race. That's what you are doing. And if if the ideal is that we're not supposed to do that, then we don't do that. Now, if you're going to argue that, as Kendi does, we have to discriminate now in order to make up for the past discrimination, well, that's a different argument to have. You see, because now I get a say, right? I get a say as to whether or not you're going to discriminate against me based on the color of my skin, right? You're going to make the arguments that the Klan made. You're going to make the arguments that the Jim Crow era politicians made, Democrats. You're going to, you're going to make those arguments. And I'm going to be making the arguments of who? Of which civil rights leader, right? I'm not sure people have thought this through. Um, let me see here. I got to, oh, this is Bob asking me to discriminate against bad callers. Um, uh, this is from Dina, who says, your caller who disagreed with today's Supreme Court decision talked about setting aside a certain percentage of minorities for admission who meet admission standards. That's a whole, that is wholly different than lowering admission standards based on outward appearance so certain races may be accepted. Obviously, lowering admission standards is what does the greatest disservice to minority professionals because prospective clients might hesitate not knowing whether or not that professional really is qualified, right? That's the other side of the coin, too. It's first, as Thomas Sowell outlined, you got, you, you got high-performing, you know, black children. When you look at them in, like, a particular subject, they're doing really, really well in that subject across America. They're, like, like top 10%. And so then they get recruited into a school, like MIT, where he quoted the stats on this, and they fail out because, but they're still better than 90% of the kids, but all those other kids went to different schools. They didn't go to Ivy League schools. But that's one of the, that, that's one of the, the problems on the front end. So you, you actually harm these really bright kids because they don't get into schools based on merit alone, right? And then on the back end, yes, now you've got people that question whether or not somebody you know, got in based on a quota or based on merit or whatever. And so it undermines them on the back end, too. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? I did not finish reading Dana's email. Let me get to that here. She says... Uh, lowering admission standards is what does the greatest disservice to minority professionals um, because people you know, don't think, not sure, like, oh, are you an affirmative action hire or are you based on merit, that kind of thing. Um, however, even setting aside a percentage for merit-based admissions 
based on outward appearance doesn't make sense because it assumes that color correlates to life experiences, viewpoints, and behaviors. And these are all generalizations that we are constantly lectured that we shouldn't hold. Right. This, and this is at the heart of the disagreement that the two black members of the Supreme Court had in this, in this case. Now, I'm, I haven't gotten through the whole thing, but the, the excerpts here that I have been reading are pretty amazing. For example, here is Ketanji Brown-Jackson, and she says Clarence Thomas's um, opinion demonstrates an obsession with race consciousness that outstrips my or UNC's holistic understanding that race can be a factor that affects applicants' unique life experiences. She goes on to say later that um, he th- he ignites too many, sorry, yeah, Justice Thomas ignites too many more straw men to list or fully extinguish. The takeaway is that those who demand that no one think about race, a classic pink elephant paradox, refuse to see, much less solve for the elephant in the room, the race-linked disparities that continue to impede achievement of our great nation's full potential, right? So remember this term, race-linked disparities. And worse still, she says, by insisting that obvious truths be ignored, they prevent our problem-solving institutions from directly addressing uh, the real important impact of social racism. But I don't know what that means. But, all right, so he comes back at her and says... Uh, so Justice Jackson supplies the link herself because she doesn't provide the link. She just says race-linked issues, but she doesn't tell you how they are linked, whether they are linked. Like, okay, so you're this color, and so therefore this thing. She doesn't. She doesn't provide any, so she supplies the link herself, which he says the legacy of slavery and the nature of inherited wealth. This, she claims, locks blacks into a seemingly perpetual inferior caste. Such a view is irrational. It is an insult to individual achievement and cancerous to young minds seeking to push through barriers rather than consign themselves to permanent victimhood. Um, he goes on to say uh, her race-infused worldview falls flat at each step. Individuals are the sum of their unique experiences and challenges and accomplishments. What matters is not the barriers they face, but how they choose to confront them. And their race is not to blame for everything good or bad that happens in their lives. A contrary myopic worldview based on individual skin color to the total exclusion of their personal choices is nothing short of racial determinism. She then builds off of that faulty premise to call for action, arguing that courts should defer to experts and allow institutions to discriminate on the basis of race. Make no mistake, her dissent is not a vanguard of the innocent and helpless. It is instead a call to empower privileged elites who will tell us what's required to level the playing field among the different castes. And then after siloing us all into racial castes and pitting those castes against each other, the dissent somehow believes that we'll be able to at some point in the future, right, march forward together into some utopian vision. Social movements that invoke these sorts of rallying cries, he says, historically have ended disastrously. That's a great point. I mean, Say communism without saying communism, right? Um, she, he says it, uh, this tried and failed system defies both law and reason. Um, he goes on to say if the measures were to result in, because uh, he says even if you constructed it right and you get worse results, you're just going to keep on constructing it more and more. You're going to keep doubling down. 
if you're saying that it's just based on the race, then you implement a program and things get worse. You're going to say, oh, my gosh, things are worse. So let's just keep doing more of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. Clarence Thomas. Oh, yes. And Kintanji Brown Jackson. Apparently, she wrote like multiple page footnotes as well. It's kind of her thing, I guess. I don't know.